Hey, I'm Dr. Michael Hunter, forensic pathologist from Autopsy, Reels Channel's medical mystery series on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to download the Podcast One app and subscribe. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, to find more programs like this one on Reels Channel. Singer Marvin Gaye was shot and killed Sunday in Los Angeles, reportedly during a family argument. Marvin Gaye Sr. is being held and has been charged with murdering the singer. Legendary soul singer Marvin Gaye was one of the most innovative musical talents of the 20th century. His extraordinary ability to write and perform hit singles made him a global superstar. Marvin's voice was unique. It has a way of touching you, of getting through to the soul of you. Famous for I Heard It Through the Grapevine, What's Going On, and Sexual Healing, he sang like an angel, but struggled with demons. Marvin Gaye was a man of contradictions. On his final tour, there would be drug dealers in one room and preachers in the other. He was always so unhappy, so unhappy. He would talk about killing himself. But on the afternoon of April 1st, 1984, the day before his 45th birthday, Marvin Gaye was shot by his father. His father says, I brought you in, I can take you out. Some believe he provoked his father to kill him. Probably something that was going to happen, but it was just a question of when. Now, leading forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is investigating Marvin Gaye's shocking death. Filicide, the killing of one's son or daughter, is highly unusual, especially with a gun. I have here Marvin Gaye Jr.'s autopsy and the papers from Marvin Gaye Sr.'s court case, which show that both men were renowned addicts. It's alleged that Marvin Gaye Jr. provoked his father. So what was happening to the bodies of these men, both psychologically and physiologically at the time of the shooting, that can explain the reasons behind a father killing his firstborn son? world-renowned forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter has performed thousands of autopsies. He's the chief medical examiner in one of America's biggest cities, working closely with law enforcement to investigate the circumstances surrounding suspicious deaths. I have been the lead forensic pathologist on numerous shootings, and these investigations are often fraught with difficulty. But sometimes the location of the injuries Witness testimonies, along with the forensic investigations, can tell us as much or more than an autopsy can. There have been a number of theories as to why Marvin Gaye Sr. shot his famous son, but in my opinion, the evidence I've read so far simply doesn't add up. So I'm reanalyzing this case of filicide to discover what really happened in the final moments of this tragedy. June 28, 1983, Omaha, Nebraska, nine months before Marvin Gaye's death. After around 20 years as a major soul star, his career had been languishing for the last few years. This is Marvin Gaye's comeback moment. He's now on his first U.S. tour in four years, riding on the wave of his twice Grammy Award winning hit, Sexual Healing. Mark Gellier. Brother-in-law and friend. He was just trying to get something going again. 
Then all of a sudden, bang, he wrote a hit and he was on the charts again. But Marvin's return to music is marred by problems. His second marriage has failed and he misses his three children. Dave Simmons, friend. He was very upset that never saw the kids. He also has to find additional money for alimony payments, and he owes the IRS hundreds of thousands of dollars. Steve Turner, biographer. He was being chased by the IRS. He was being chased up for maintenance money that he hadn't paid. He'd been called to court a number of times and hadn't attended. People were on his tail. The tour is a way of settling his debts. Even though he has never been at ease performing, Marvin does his best to look seductive for sexual healing. Larkin Arnold, former executive producer. He did take his clothes off at the end of the show. It looks a bit ridiculous. It doesn't look very artistic or, uh, or sexy or anything, really. It's not something that he wanted to do. It was part of what he felt he had to do. He did the best. He was an entertainer, so he, he entertained. To make it worse, Marvin's physique isn't what it was. It was not in shape. Stomach was hanging out. He looked bad. According to the autopsy report, Marvin Gaye was six foot tall, and he weighed 202 pounds when he died, which gives him a body mass index or a BMI of 27, which means he's overweight. He certainly wasn't in peak physical condition for a man of 44. So here's a man who's uncomfortably out of shape, struggling with the collapse of his personal life and facing financial ruin. It makes me question his mental state. Marvin Pence Gay Jr. was born on April 2nd, 1939, in a suburb of Washington, D.C., to Marvin Gay Sr., a church minister, and Alberta, a domestic worker. Young Marvin was brought up with three of his siblings. His father was a devout preacher, and from a young age, Marvin sang in the church choir and learned to play the piano. He's brought up in a very strict denomination, which is called the House of God. All the children of Marvin Gaye Sr., they're expected not to go to the cinema or listen to records or do the stuff that all their mates were doing. But Marvin Gaye Sr. was a man of contradictions. He made no secret of the fact that he liked wearing women's clothes. He was a cross-dresser and he had uh, pedal pushers on and uh, nylons and a uh, woman's blouse with a fedora hat. Marvin did have a fear that, that this might be some sort of genetic disposition. So he used to worry, am I like my dad? Later on, the star put an E at the end of his name to avoid any doubts about his sexuality. Behind his calm, feminine exterior, Marvin's father was a tough disciplinarian. Marvin being somebody that did his thing his way made sure that he was late. And so he was always in, uh, in trouble with father. He was the one most likely to rile his father and take things that bit further. That conflict started early and continued. But it was the complete opposite with his mother. She smothered him with love, and Marvin adored her. 
Mother was like the angel from above, and she just loves Maru. Think father became very jealous of that. As soon as he could, Marvin left home to pursue his love for music. At the age of 20, he landed in Detroit and was soon signed by a then little-known record company, Motown, the new powerhouse of black music. Marvin was a really sexy-looking guy. He had a great voice, and he got given great songs. Marvin's talent knew no bounds, and in 1968, a song that he had resisted recording became the best-selling Motown single of the decade. I heard it through the grapevine, turned him into an international superstar. The hits kept coming, and by the end of the 70s, Marvin was one of the most famous musicians in the world. July 22, 1983, Charlotte Coliseum, Charlotte, North Carolina. Nine months before the artist's death, Marvin has just come off stage and relaxes by smoking marijuana. But the drug could be harming his voice. It's clear from reports that Marvin Gaye wasn't coping with the vocal demands of his performances. This could be due to the fact that he spent over 20 years smoking marijuana. Smoking marijuana can cause laryngitis, which is an inflammation of the vocal cords. Swollen cords do not vibrate the way they need to for singing, and forcing the voice can result in injuries that can scar the vocal cords permanently. By the time we got to the last show, I thought it was terrible, terrible, terrible. I thought his voice was gone. Dr. Linda Papadopoulos. Psychologist. This is somebody whose whole identity is based on their ability to use this instrument to get fans, to have a livelihood, to be the you know this persona they've created. So that really hits Marvin quite hard. So he's losing the essence of, of who he was. Marvin wasn't putting only his vocal cords at risk. Marijuana was also affecting his mind. When marijuana is smoked, the chemical tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, is quickly passed from the lungs into the bloodstream. And once it reaches the brain, there's an almost immediate effect, which can alter the sense of perception, and crucially, it can impair judgment. However, I can see from statements of those that knew him that he was also smoking something far stronger and more dangerous: the sedative drug phencyclidine. Or PCP, also known as angel dust, which is an incredibly powerful and dangerous mind-altering drug. The PCP, he may have been mixing it. It really sends you out there, and、uh, I can see if he was doing that, that might have just really flown him right, right over out the the, the the edge. The drug was originally developed as a medical sedative, but. It was later banned when it was discovered it had serious hallucinogenic properties. And PCP is used alongside another psychoactive narcotic like marijuana. It can cause deep paranoia. Marvin's paranoia is so bad he's convinced that someone is trying to kill him. 
may well have been people after Marvin because he broke lots of concert engagements and uh, women he'd slept with whose husbands might be after him. Amen. Great show, Ray. Besides his personal security, Marvin keeps his younger brother Frankie and friend Dave close. Both bear a resemblance to Marvin, who is hoping an assassin might confuse one of them for him. I stood on one side, Frankie stood on the other side of the stage and made like uh, bodyguards for him. Marvin even insisted on wearing a bulletproof vest for protection. We were constantly trying to convince him that it wasn't true. Nobody's trying to kill you, though. These people love you. They love your music. They want to hear you sing. Although Marvin Gaye's autopsy report reveals that there was no marijuana or PCP in his system the day that he died, it cannot be denied that its long-term use is likely to have adversely affected both his brain and voice. And Dr. Hunter has found evidence of another highly destructive drug that was having a devastating effect on Marvin. Get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. What I really love about HelloFresh is their recipes are super delicious. They offer so many to choose from each week, and it helps you really sort of break out of your recipe rut, which I'm sure all of us are experiencing right now from cooking at home so often. There's really something for everyone, including low-calorie, vegetarian, and family-friendly recipes every week. Over 90% of ingredients are sourced directly from growers to ensure the freshest recipes are delivered to your door. One of the recipes that I got to try out was the balsamic fig chicken, which was really, really good. Kind of a new take on kind of like a, a tangy sweet and sour type sauce. And the, the figs were really fresh in it with the jam that they provided. And it came with potatoes and green beans. And it was just the right amount for me and my husband. So you don't waste any food. Um, and it's really just perfectly portioned. And you feel like you got a really great meal. And what's great is it's super flexible and can fit your lifestyle. You can keep your fridge stocked by adding extra proteins or sides like garlic bread to your weekly order. And you can easily change your delivery days or food preferences. So if you're going out of town, you can easily skip a week whenever you need to. It's really easy to just feed the whole family. And you can get even larger size boxes um, for more savings and more servings if you have kids or other family members to share with. The other thing I really love is that HelloFresh is committed to giving back. They make fresh, delicious food available now more than ever and has taken extra steps to keep their employees and customers safe. Plus, HelloFresh has donated over 2.5 million meals to charity in 2019 and this year is stepping up their food donations amid the coronavirus crisis. So go to HelloFresh.com slash Autopsy80 and use code Autopsy80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. Again, you can go to HelloFresh.com slash Autopsy80 and use code Autopsy80, that's 80, to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply, so please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. On April 1st, 1984, the legendary singer-songwriter Marvin Gaye was shot dead by his father. Now one of America's top forensic pathologists, Dr. Michael Hunter, is investigating the star's unusual death. Marvin Gaye's autopsy 
along with court records, show underlying issues which I think contributed to this tragedy. I have so far discovered that father and son had always had a difficult relationship and that Marvin Jr. was struggling with numerous personal problems. On top of that, Marvin smoked marijuana and PCP, which made him increasingly paranoid that someone was going to kill him. Worryingly, the autopsy also reveals he was likely addicted to cocaine near the time of his death. August 14th, 1983, Pacific Amphitheater, Costa Mesa, California. It's the last concert of the Stars' comeback tour, and Marvin and his entourage are consuming copious amounts of drugs. I don't know how he was doing all those shows. Every night he did his show, and I'd take him back to the hotel, and he'd do drugs all night. The amount of drugs he was doing, it was just getting crazier and crazier. But Marvin's dark cravings conflict with his faith. He had a, a Baptist preacher come on tour with him, and yet he'd be taking as much cocaine as he could get hold of without his bodyguards throwing people out of the room. I see that Marvin Gaye's autopsy report states that he had a mucosal ulcer on the left side of the septum. And that's the fleshy wall between the nostrils, which separates the nose chambers. This ulcer is very consistent with someone who has snorted a lot of cocaine over a long period of time. Many link Marvin's dark addiction to the time of a tragic event some years earlier. At the height of his career, in 1967, Motown teamed him with up-and-coming singer, 22-year-old Tammy Terrell. They had an instant rapport, which was evident in their smash hit, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. The relationship between Tammy and Marvin was amazing. It was made in heaven. And uh, I think there was a lot of love in that music and energy. They were such a perfect fit with their song and their harmonies. Just magical. He really, really cared for her, you know, not, not in, in a uh, sexual way, but more of a big brother, big sister. Although their relationship was platonic, Tammy's impact on Marvin's life and career was immeasurable. But it was dramatically cut short. Tammy collapsed on stage in a concert with Marvin in 67, then she died in 1970 from a brain tumour. And that really unhinged Marvin. Devastated by the loss of his good friend and musical soulmate, Marvin turned to cocaine. Drug of choice was cocaine. After the Tammy Terrell death, that was the, the thing that sort of reduced his pain and gave him the confidence that he wanted. So as a means of coping with this pain, he escapes it. And, you know, what's the easiest way to escape it? Well, it's drugs. They're easy to get, they're all around, and they allow you to kind of be somewhere else when you don't want to be inside your life. And, and that's when the addiction begins. Looking at his autopsy report, I see an indication that he was using cocaine in his last few days. A small amount of the drug's byproduct, benzylecanine, was found in his blood when he died. When cocaine is consumed, 
it gets quickly metabolized in the liver to form benzoleconine, which is the compound detected in urine drug screening. Benzoleconine normally stays in the system for between two to four days, depending on the dose. So its presence proves that Marvin Gaye was still using the drug around the time of his death. Tammy's death didn't only drive him to cocaine, it also lit the fuse for a long battle with depression. After Tammy Terrell's death, he broke down. He started to cancel concerts and miss recording sessions, and he seemed to get into different conflicts all, all over the place. Marvin had a definite problem with depression. The way he looked, looked like he was moping and didn't think it was really worth doing much. When I would see him, I knew he was depressed. I mean, it was obvious that, that he was not happy, that he was deeply troubled and down. At one point, a few years before his death, Marvin even attempted to escape his depression and drug problems by hiding away in Belgium. There was no big drug scene in, in Ostend, so this was a place where he could really kind of like recharge his batteries. And he started to, um, to stop taking drugs and live a very, very different life. He needed to kind of uh, just get, step out of the icon of Marvin Gaye and try to rebuild re, uh, himself and figure himself out. But once back touring in the U.S., his problems resurfaced and became increasingly debilitating. May 31st, 1983, Miami, Florida. Less than a year before his death and halfway through his final tour, Marvin Gaye was admitted to the hospital. He canceled the next two days and checked into a private hospital and they said he was suffering from exhaustion and um, dehydration. In my opinion, Marvin's symptoms, particularly his extreme exhaustion and fatigue, were the physical signs of depression. He was clearly at rock bottom, both physiologically and psychologically. And in the days leading up to his death, it appears he was still suffering from depression and his drug use increased dramatically. Were these factors in some way implicated in his death? Legendary soul singer Marvin Gaye was shot by his own father on April 1st, 1984. Now, leading forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is scrutinizing the evidence surrounding this shocking tragedy. There have been a number of theories as to why Marvin Gaye was shot by his father, but for me, some of the evidence simply doesn't add up. Therefore, I'm reanalyzing this unusual case of filicide to uncover what was really happening both physiologically and psychologically to both father and son. March 1st, 1984, Los Angeles. One month before Marvin Gaye's death. After his grueling five-month tour and a divorce from his second wife, Janice, Marvin has retreated back to his parents' house. I was around the house quite a bit because mother liked me. Marvin wants to be with his mother as she has recently been in ill health. Everybody be all around. It was a lot of love, a lot of fun. It was really magical. And then something cold hit the air and everyone's a little shivery. Drugs are still a huge part of the singer's life. 
The cocaine became stronger and stronger, and everything was around the cocaine. Marvin has numerous friends and other hangers-on who are constantly coming and going from the house. There were all kinds of crazy bad things happening. All these bad people were around. It was just bad, the drugs, and I didn't... It was terrible, terrible, terrible. The prodigal son's return annoys his frustrated preacher father. Drug abuse and a house full of people are increasing tensions between the pair. Marvin's father was very disapproving of Marvin's lifestyle. Added to that, Marvin Sr. always struggled with his son's success. I think father was very jealous of how famous his son was. He'd say, you're successful in the devil's world of materialism, and I don't accept that. Some have suggested Marvin Gaye Sr.'s jealousy was due to the fact that he wasn't successful in his own career. His son's fame only heightened his sense of failure. Marvin's dad was very domineering, very controlling, but then his son goes on to be one of the biggest stars of his generation. So it may have felt quite emasculating. And as a consequence, that relationship between them, which was very tumultuous, that just gets worse and worse and worse. During his childhood, Marvin's father was an unyielding disciplinarian, and Marvin bore the brunt of his father's brutality. If Marvin did things that his father disapproved of, his father's uh, way of dealing with it was to, to beat them with his belt, you know, with a leather strap. Being beaten is a very demeaning thing, very dehumanizing thing to go through. And to go through it at the hands of a parent, and to go through it in a way that your siblings aren't, will single you out. Would have made him feel very angry, it would have made him feel belittled. The relationship between Marvin and his father was terrible. It was always a bad situation. March 18th, 1984, Los Angeles. Two weeks before his death. Marvin Gaye is hiding away in his room, and his reclusiveness begins to concern his friends. I didn't hear from him for a little while, so I said, well, I'm going to come over. And so I'd go over and take him a little while to come down. But the whole mood and atmosphere in the house was sort of somber when you walked in. And I just knew that it wasn't himself, that a lot of life had gone out of him. Marvin isn't only shutting himself away. His paranoia is also getting worse. Thought people were out to kill him. He heard voices coming out of telephones and he'd, he'd rip them out of the wall. He would be at home and see shadows in the bushes. Marvin became so paranoid that someone might try and kill him that he gave his father a Smith & Wesson 38 caliber pistol so he could protect the family. But did Marvin have any idea that this gun would end up becoming his own murder weapon? We know that paranoia goes hand in hand with the type of drugs that he was taking, so it's probably that his whole inner world is in such turmoil that he's, he's hypersensitive to all threat, he's hypersensitive to anything bad happening, and he feels he needs to protect himself. 
It's reported Marvin's increasing paranoia led to increased drug abuse. This became a vicious cycle. More drugs led to more paranoia, and more paranoia led to more drugs. He looked like he had been at the drug parties or sitting at home by himself or whatever too much. He didn't see that light, that fire in him at all anymore. March 20th, 1984, Los Angeles. Less than two weeks before his death. Marvin's depression and paranoia turn his thoughts to suicide. I found him in his room, all alone, with a gun. And I said, Marvin, what are you doing? But he didn't do it. This wasn't the first time he'd considered suicide. There were several reported incidents, including a drug overdose four years before he died. I tried to commit suicide um, uh, through an overdose of cocaine. I was in an emotional state, but I'm pretty depressed most of the time. I always thought about suicide because he was always so unhappy, so unhappy. Marvin wanted to kill himself, but never, never pulled the trigger. I guess maybe basically a troubled man. I think the self-destruct mode that Marvin gets into is something that never really leaves him. There comes a point where he's trying anything to make himself feel better. So drugs, even playing around with guns. And I think that's where it's this very kind of macabre, you know, I'm alive, but I don't want to be here. It's all about trying to get away from this pain that clearly he can't seem to get away from. It seems it wasn't just Marvin Gaye Jr.'s mental state that was unstable. Dr. Hunter has found evidence that Marvin Gaye Sr. was battling his own demons. According to court records, his father was an alcoholic. And it's been said that he was drinking heavily during the last weeks of his son's life. He liked his vodka. And he would have that vodka in the morning, and uh, that can kind of make you a little grouchy later in the day. Mm -hmm. Long-term alcohol abuse can damage the brain and nervous system and also lead to depression and symptoms of dementia. It can also make the user behave irrationally and even violently. But was his alcoholism the only factor at play with Marvin Sr. An autopsy not only reveals how a person died, but how they lived. I'm Dr. Michael Hunter. If you like what you're hearing, check out more dark mysteries on your TV on Reels channel. There are shocking real life and death stories in world's most evil killers, like the quiet neighbor nicknamed the Scorpion after he bludgeoned nine women to death with a hammer, and Rodney Alcala, the serial murderer best known as the dating game killer. Then check out the latest episodes of Autopsy that reveal what really killed screen and music legends like Walt Disney, Tom Petty, David Cassidy, and Batman's Adam West. You can find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. Then check the top of the screen to find Reels in your area. Acclaimed forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter 
is investigating the real reason Marvin Gaye was shot by his own father. I'm building a picture of someone who was hooked on narcotics and had probably developed a drug-fueled psychosis, which made him paranoid and possibly suicidal. There was unmistakable tension with his alcoholic father. But why did Marvin Gaye Sr. end up shooting his son? March 30th, 1984, Los Angeles, two days before Marvin Gaye's death. The atmosphere in the house is like a pressure cooker. Both Marvins, Jr. and Sr., are hiding away in their rooms, alone with their addictions. The house started to feel like it was haunted in some ways. A cloud was there. You couldn't get a positive vibration going in there. Whatever you had to do there, do it and get out. Kind of scary, because father was unpredictable. Holed up in his room taking various drugs, the singer is becoming more spiritual and reflective. Marvin's here, angels looking out for me. He said, this is what I believe. He said, Dave, you know, man, I really love you. So you're always there for me. I said, oh, man, Marvin, I love you too. That was the last time we spoke. March 31st, 1984, Los Angeles, the day before the star's death. Marvin is spending time in his mother Alberta's room, where she often reads the Bible to her tormented son. In his mother's eyes, he can do no wrong. Mother really had nothing bad to say about Marvin. I mean, she loved some Marvin, and she was supportive of her son. Marvin's relationship with his mother was very strong. They were each other's favorites. And it was clear to everyone around them, especially to the dad. And this is something that Marvin's dad very much resented. Marvin Gaye Sr.'s resentment turns to rage. He has mislaid some documents and is looking for someone to blame. Show us things you had last week. I want my papers. I want my papers. It's your fault. I'm talking to you, Mark. My sister told me to stay away from the house. It's getting crazy over there. Father's off the hook. Marvin's off the hook. And there's a lot of fighting, arguing. April 1st, 1984, Los Angeles, 12 p.m., the day of Marvin Gaye's death. Marvin and his mother are reading the Bible. But his father is still looking for his documents. Alberta! Where am I showing things? You've had them last week. Sign! I've told you how I love you. Get out of here. Don't touch me. Get out of my house. You will. Marvin's upset that the father's bossing his mum around. But decades of bad blood suddenly erupt. Alberta urgently rushes Marvin back to his room. 
But the fight isn't over as far as Marvin Gaye Sr. is concerned. He grabs the gun his son had bought for him as a means of protection and enters Marvin Jr.'s room. He fires for a second time. Marvin Gaye Sr. returns to his room in a daze. Marvin's brother Frankie's in a, in a guest house close to the main house. Here's the shot. Frankie dashes to his parents' house and is confronted with the tragic scene. Someone help! He's dying up here! Paramedics arrive quickly, but they refuse to enter the house while Marvin Sr. and the weapon are still inside. Come on, guys! The singer is dying in his brother's arms, and Frankie's wife, Irene, desperately searches for the gun. According to reports, Marvin was lying in a pool of blood, which indicates that he was severely injured, but he could have still been alive. 20 minutes had passed by the time the medics could get access to Marvin, and by that point, the blood loss would have been extensive. April 1st, 1984, 12.56 p.m., California Hospital Medical Center. Marvin is rushed straight into the emergency room. Doctors fight to save his life. It's likely that a thoracotomy was performed, an incision into the chest to identify and treat the source of blood loss, and if needed, to initiate manual heart massage to support blood flow to the other organs. But attempts prove futile. April 1st. 1984, 1.01 p.m., Marvin Gaye Jr. is pronounced dead. The following day, the singer would have been just 45 years old. The phone rang. It was Irene, Frankie's wife. And she says, Dave, come quick. Father just shot Marvin. We had to go to the police department with his mom. She had to tell the police everything that happened. That was it. I was just feeling like my brother is gone. I couldn't believe it, you know, that it went to that extent that father... Uh, chose to take him out. I love him. His music always had a meaning in it. A lot of people cared about him. Gonna miss him. 
Dr. Hunter has been forensically re-examining reports of the crime scene and has developed a brand new theory regarding the events of that fateful day, turning the perceived conclusion on its head. Marvin Gaye Jr. was shot twice. The court reports state that the first hit was to the chest and the second was to his shoulder. But on further investigation, my theory is that the order of shots was the other way around. And Dr. Hunter's surprising discovery leads him to a startling new revelation. On April 1st, 1984, Marvin Gaye, the 44-year-old legendary soul singer, was shot dead by his father. Renowned forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is analyzing Marvin's autopsy and other forensic evidence to build a picture of what happened on that day. So far, I have established that Marvin Gaye had been struggling with the chemical and physical effects of drug abuse, clinical depression, and had possibly attempted suicide on a number of occasions. But most fragile of all was his highly dysfunctional relationship with his alcoholic father. Evidence from the court found that Marvin Gaye Sr. intended to kill his son. First shot was fired at, at some distance. The second shot was fired at close to point blank range. So apparently he moved in, indicating he had time to reflect on what he was about to do. But having dug deeper into the star's autopsy, Dr. Hunter turns this theory on its head. The court believed the first shot was from a distance and the second was close range. In my opinion, the reason for this conclusion is that it's the most logical. Most killers will shoot from a distance and then once their victim is incapacitated, they're able to get closer and shoot again. However, in this unusual case of filicide, I believe the opposite occurred. The primary thing I look for when investigating a shooting is the way the victim was hit and the position of the assailant when the shot was fired. In my analysis, the first shot was to the left shoulder. The wound indicates that the two men were standing facing each other around two feet apart. And when his father pulled the trigger, the bullet penetrated the left shoulder just below the clavicle and exited his back without causing any serious injury. However, the impact caused him to fall down. Abrasions found on his knees and left hand are consistent with this. The second and most likely fatal shot was to the chest above the right nipple and had a very damaging and odd trajectory. The bullet traveled diagonally down through the lung, heart, diaphragm, liver, and kidney, finally embedding itself on the left side of the torso. The direction of the bullet's trajectory suggests Marvin was positioned toward his father and that his father was likely to have been moving away at the time. For Dr. Hunter, the angle of both bullets means this had to be the order the shots were fired. Marvin Gaye Sr. was charged with voluntary manslaughter instead of murder because the doctors made an astonishing discovery that suggested he may not have been responsible for his actions. When the doctors examined Marvin Gaye Sr. after the shooting, they diagnosed him with a brain tumor. Brain tumors can cause personality changes such as confusion, anxiety, mood swings, and aggression. 
These, combined with his alcoholism, may have meant Marvin Gaye Sr. had a very short fuse and couldn't make rational judgments. The nature of the tumor and the location of the tumor causes uh, Father Gay to go in and out. And by that we mean that on any one given day he can appear competent and on another given day he can appear incompetent. As a result, Marvin Gay Sr. would have had diminished responsibility for his actions. On top of that, the shooting was thought to be an act of self-defense. It seems to be agreed by everybody that the young man who died, died tragically provoked this incident, and it was all his fault. Many believe that this was because Marvin was high on drugs and the media reported a cocaine-fueled attack. But the toxicology report reveals there is no active cocaine found in the star's body when he died. Although I've already discovered a byproduct of this drug was present in his blood, this is only an indication that he'd used the drug in the last few days. So. Cocaine would not have affected him at the time of the shooting. They also looked for PCP, and again, none was found despite reports saying otherwise. Therefore, I do not believe that Marvin's behavior was directly linked to an acute drug intoxication. Although Dr. Hunter agrees the provocation likely led to the shooting, he also believes Marvin's actions were entirely calculated. Since the first shot didn't have a major debilitating effect, why didn't the singer quickly try to either tackle or run from his armed father when he had the chance? I think there is one other factor to consider, his depression. Dr. Hunter has already discovered Marvin had previously tried to kill himself on several occasions. I tried to commit suicide, I'm pretty depressed most of the time. Marvin Gaye may have survived had he attempted to escape from his father. His religious father always told him, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. And this fed into Marvin's conflicted mind. So, by goading his father, he may have manipulated his own death. He must have thought, you know, if I got my father really angry, would he do it? And then he must have thought what the consequences of that would be. It's a rather bizarre scenario, but it, it sort of achieved two things at one time. You know, it kind of punished the father and got Marvin out of life. I think the whole thing was a suicide. He wanted his old man to kill him. He saw a way to make the old man suffer and be guilty of murdering his son. I think Marvin really had thought of it through. I, I mean this from my heart. I wish I could join back. I wish you know, I just, this really, it's, it's killing me. And I'm paying the price for it too. I really mean, God knows I'm getting the truth. Marvin Gaye Sr. pleaded no contest to voluntary manslaughter and received a six-year suspended sentence. He died from pneumonia 14 years after killing his son. Marvin Gaye was a huge talent, but the joy he gave to so many was sadly missing from his own life. And in the end, his father may have given him a way out. It was one of the great experiences of my life working with him and, and seeing him getting his just due towards the end, then have it all wasted. 
I still miss him today. I think the legacy of Marvin is his love. We had a lot of fun together. I miss him very much. And uh, he was probably one of the best friends I had. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autopsy. Don't forget to subscribe at podcastone.com with the Podcast One app or at Apple Podcasts. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, for clips, extras, and more from the TV version of the series, including reenactments and autopsy photos you'll only see on Reels channel. Find Reels on your TV at reels.com. I'm Dr. Michael Hunter. 